0: Hello and welcome to the Hive Radio Storytellers podcast. Each month we will be selecting a theme and our group will create stories, poems, musings and record memories. I'm Diane Gray and I have the pleasure of taking you on a journey through our February theme of love. To start off we have a story of young love written and recorded by Anne Ridley. A short
1: story of first love in the 1960s. Shocking Pink. A wild guitar solo blasted out as the waltzers whirled and the sinewy youth wheeled between them. The four girls in the car clung to the bar, screaming. Round and round we go, the louder you scream, the faster we go. Come on, girls, shouted the lad, his eyes glinting. This was living. They all wanted him. He knew. The lights spun in stabs of colour, the black sea silent beyond them. Louise had craved this little fairground for months. It slid into her mind during A-levels, through a baking June. He'd been there in the Easter holidays. She hardly dared hope he would return in the summer. The ride slowed. He jumped on their car, grinning down at them. He yanked the bar open, and the four girls clambered out, giggling. "Come in the coffee bar, called Brenda. Never one for reticence. Maybe, he replied. The girls stumbled across the grass in their white stilettos. See ya. I'll catch you up, shouted Louise, hanging back. Watch yourself, Brenda the joker hollered. Louise leaned against the waltzer railings, watching him, as his lithe shape danced and pranced between the whizzing cars. She drank him in, ride after ride. The last ride stopped. The wild music ceased. He circled the cars, checking and locking. His boss bagged the takings and closed up. The lights went out. The youth strolled over to her. I remember you, he said, guiding her off the deck. You must be frozen. I am, but I'm tingling inside. Don't care. He led her over to the harbour wall. Tides right out. Crescent moon, she said. Dancing on the sea, what a world we live in. He's a poet, she thought. They mulled over the waxing and waning of moons until he cupped her face in his hands and kissed her. Mm, Salty. She stood on tiptoe, stretching her arms up. She slid her hands down his black, shiny hair and pulled it. (laughs) Ha, you're a funny one, he chuckled. I like the feel of your hair, she said. Silky, dead straight. He tugged on her jumper. This is a big baggy thing. He peered at a pattern running across it. I knit it, she said proudly. It's called a sloppy joe. <laughs> you women, you're crazy. Louise was a light at being called a woman for the first time in her life. I've crossed the Scottish border and left a schoolgirl back in England, she thought. He peered again. I like that pattern. shock and pink, oh, swirly things on blue. She could tell he wanted to trace the pattern with his finger. <laughs> the urgent twanging of rock music boomed out from the coffee bar jukebox. He spun her around in a crazy jive. I'm going now. Your friends are watching. He paused. What will you be in the future? I'm going to be a geography teacher, she said. What do you want to be? Dear baggy jumper girl twirling your globe, I'm going to be a dancer. Dan, the dancer. Shocking Pink was written and read by Anne Ridley. Wild Guitar Solo by Mike Ridley
0: Love comes in many forms, and during this year of COVID, frontline nursing staff have needed to step in where families have been unable to see their loved ones. This next poem shines a light on the work nurses do. Written and recorded by Christine Jackson
2: Come and sit quiet, nurse Come and sit quiet, nurse Take some time Come sit by me Take a deep breath And share a pot of tea With me Come and sit quiet, nurse Before your next admission Offload your burden With me Your troubles, your fears Shed your tears come and sit quiet nurse come sit by me discuss the loss of your patient ring out that sponge and replenish your patience replace your sadness with that trusted smile come and sit quiet nurse by me but i know nurse you're asking who is this me
0: The next piece, written and recorded by Andrew Ball, is very thought-provoking.
3: Not for the Likes of Me by Andrew Ball So, that time of year has been once more, for the majority to brag. Online, they've all shown off their inner relationship hashtag. And in the shops the cards went up, a hard-to-ignore display. Urging romance and a spending spree, it's Happy Valentine's Day. Don't worry if you're mean with money, it's just for twenty-four hours. The rest of the year you can say, ah, sod it, to the chocolates, poems and flowers. Token offerings they will be for many. A gesture, nothing more. Never mind that day, how well do you treat at the other three hundred and sixty-four? It's an elaborate con, but a profitable one. That's how I feel, anyway. On behalf of the many millions of us for whom it's... Just another day. Forgive me for such cynicism, but whatever I might wish could be, I've given up on finding my valentine. It's not for the likes of me. That's not because I don't dream or long to find my heart a home, but more that I was made aware long ago it would always be alone. The damage was done in my teenage years when my peers were at their most cruel. If they think you stand out, It's not just classes where you learn life's lessons in school. When sustained over ten years or more per day, it shapes your mindset, what you are. Then when it recedes, your self-esteem leaves, replaced by emotional scars. And if your problem's permanent, an unchanging disability, then you soon get used to the kind of abuse that was for the likes of me. The looks and eyesight of my younger life no longer make everyone stare, but I'm still sure they're not part of a life that another would want to share. Oh, love isn't just about looks, they'll say, all the others who've found the one, but how easy it is to give such advice when for them the hard part's been done. The doubt will always remain within that I'll never be good enough. Oh, maybe for writing and performing such words, but not for someone to love. And pop culture pressure mounts all the while, becoming ever more relentless, in its search to find new ways to preach that old truth of life without loves meaningless. The internet's no help. It's all about image, not data for a data. They're more likely to shoot you a look first and never ask questions later. Some of us just have to accept the fact we'll never find love or get close. We just have to go on as best as we can without letting our lives get morose. So despite what I've said, a happy Valentine's to you. I hope it has been and will be. Yet remember there are millions of us who have to say sorry. It's not for the likes of me.
0: Now we have a Valentine's Day story written and recorded
4: by Michael Keane. Love Lost South Shields has many beauty spots. The Marsden Grotto, Souter's Lighthouse. The Groyne, a quaint little lighthouse at the end of a short pier. Our tale starts February the 14th, some years ago a young girl who worked in the local Woolworths store in King Street. Susan has picked out her best dress for a Valentine's dance at the Shoreline nightclub, hoping her boyfriend of two years would finally pop the question and give her an engagement ring. Enjoying music and dancing with friends, Stephen said, Let's go for a walk. Within a few minutes, They were at the Little Lighthouse. As they stood by the water's edge, the moon was shining brightly to the right of them. A fog was rolling in from the old abbey at Tynemouth. The tide was high. Kissing and cuddling, Susan was happy and excited. She slipped. Stephen tries to grab her hand but he also loses his balance and falls into the sea on top of Susan. Stephen's frantic shouting and thrashing about drew the attention of people leaving the dance club, pulling Stephen out onto the little pier, but sadly no Susan. For some years until the Shoreline Club was demolished at midnight on Valentine's. A strange figure would appear on the dance floor, Susan. Was she looking for a boyfriend or her engagement ring she never received?
0: Delphine Blankensop recorded her father talking about the job he loved.
5: I walked down the old turn roadways and everything else down to the bottom layers where men used to work at one time, but which now were at the point of being, having got to the limit of the leg workings, the men had been pulled out, and all we were left with is the old roadways that they had driven in the coal over the years, you see. I'd go there and I used to stop uh, just on the curve and I used to put my yardstick against the temple, or get me ear, here, me here. you know, just stick it up against the roof and then put me ear to it. And I used to say to it, talk to me. And I used to be able to hear the creaks where the weight was coming on, you know, and a little bit of storm would trickle out the out the side, though the stone was telling me its history. The contrast between when it used to be in its heyday, with everything thrumming and going and ju- clanking and chanking and we- wheels and uh, couplings and things like that, to being dead silent, to being nothing and nothing moving other than the stone. And the stone used to be. Talking back to you. I used to get the impression that the pit was talking back to me. Actually, it's the settling of the mine to the way it was being worked and everything else. And the stone where you excavate in the stone, it was being was well, there's a cavity. So there's something has to replace the cavity and it it's the air doing it. And it, and it, you just get the general impression. That there was a, it was alive, and it was talking to me, you see, and I could, I could then put my stick down onto the rail, and I put my head on the top of it, and I could hear the tubs running on the rail, in other parts of the same level working, and I knew that things were still going all right, and you could hear the the throbbing of the engine, the the, the wheels click-clack, 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 going over the joints. That was the talk. It used to talk to me that way. And I knew the sets were running all right. There was no sort of sudden breaks anything like that. And I used to be able to walk. Then, as I was coming along, I could put my, my stick on the side of the rail, put my lamps out. I knew where I was going. It used to take me into whatever work and do. The ventilation, used to be wanting to go in by because it always goes from cold to warm. The cold air coming past you would tell you you're going in towards the warm air, the outlet. And I would walk for a mile, a mile or two like that in the dark and it just the sensation of what what it was like with a pit. And then you come to a point where there'd be a double door, or a door, something like that, which separated the, di- the different kinds of ventilation and the, from the, wa- the warm air from the cold air, you see. Now, then, you knew, knowing the mine layout, the cold air would go away to the left to go around the workings and become warm as it worked its way around. So, if I went through two or three doors, double doors, things like that, the other side would be warm, and it was. It used to warm up to somewhere about the 70 mark, you see it would go from somewhere about 35 up to 70, and I could just by going through the three sets of doors, you could get the change in temperature, and you knew the, the thing was all right in that way. Walk forward, clear them, stop, put my stick on the rail again, and I could walk again. And I used to be to follow the echo, the sound, and all the rest of it around that way. And I got that I could wander all over the pit like that, just using the stick and my, my, my senses and the changes in temperature and things like that. And I, I used to say, well, that's the pit talking to me.
0: That was Bill Blenkinsop, who was the under-manager of Shillbottle Pit in the 1960s and 70s. He then went on to work at Brinkley and Wearmouth into the 1980s. Inspired by his love of work, Delphine has written and recorded Lost Souls for us.
6: Lost Souls. Weary old man on the beach with his dancing dog. His window warrior waltzing with a sprightly seagull. He plods past the fossilised forests, buried beneath the burlesque tides, trying hard to forget a long-dead love, but deep-brained passion has a will to survive. Softly sighing breath tickles ears, clasps hands, then runs away forever in the night-free black. All alone he grins. Does she want to play? Turning off the lamp, His joyous soul explodes, searching the living, breathing being all around. His expanding power rises to sense the earthly power surrounding. Each absorbs the other, blending into one. Old school haunts the primal darkness in trust, inspecting old timbers, old faces, old friends. He tests the air, cold, clinging, no damp, no fire damp, white damp, black damp, stink damp or worst of all the heartbreaking mix of after damp. A whistle of wind wafts dust down the lines where the surviving cough, cutting coal from the seam scar, smell of fresh oranges, peel, rotting by the man-rider. Dirty water, plinking, dirty helmets, glaring, dirty jokes, cringing, cramped cages, rising like stomachs in the void, last tokens, given, last looks, burning, empty words, failing.
0: Dog races back laughing, all teeth and tail. We now have a rather intriguing poem, written by Lorna Wyndham, bred by Michael Caine and Lorna, with music created by the Boss Diety.
4: The metal weed, towed from garden bed, rests in his rough palm, not pot and shed. His ragged nail picks at loam and rust. Reveals number 11, the Swan Hotel, her dream now dust. Memories murmur of plump pillows and torso tangle on satin sheets of perfume bodies now replete of stolen kisses. And by the score of bliss and then no more.
6: Restless. I stir, stretch, bone fingers toil upward, claw at worm and root to foil my nemesis, him. My lover plants blood-red roses in this bed to stifle his mad rants. Alone, entombed, impatient for his touch. My soul craves to meet with his, to share one more night of bliss. We stirred passions, savage and wild, that mock us and our child.
0: After that thought-provoking peace, We now have something that reminds me of Unconditional Love, written and recorded by Fiona Setch.
2: The Gift of Love For what felt like the longest two minutes, Dr Zhang held my wrists, feeling my pulses and staring into my eyes. Your pulse is telling me you're pregnant. Her stern face, replaced by a beaming smile that was waiting my response, thinking out loud, I can't be, I'm only four days overdue. You must go to the chemist next door, buy a pregnancy testing kit, come back, go downstairs and pee. Come back upstairs and we will carry on this consultation because if you are pregnant, the herbs, they will be different. Like an obedient schoolgirl, I left the Chinese herbal emporium, walked slowly and silently into the shopping mall and the superstore chemist. Dazed by aisle after aisle of shampoos and deodorants, a Billy Connolly sketch where he rants about the complexities of modern life, asking, what on earth Jojoba is? In Glasgow it's the month before November. Sprung to mind, whilst I'm trying not to find the pregnancy testing kits. Having spent the last two years avoiding them, here I am on aisle six in search of the very thing I grew to loathe. Until you've had to pee on a tiny stick and wait for it to change colour. It's just another item on one of the many aisles of a chemist. But for the woman who's trying to get pregnant, opening up a kit is like opening Pandora's box, with the positive or negative result conjuring up emotions you aren't even aware can be so deep. I'd never been aware of my biological clock, tick, tock, tick, tock, till my first pregnancy testing kit result was positive. We were cautiously ecstatic, as we'd been trying for some time. And I was almost 40, so we were only told a few people until I was 12 weeks pregnant, when I wanted to sing it from the rooftops. And then, whilst we were on holiday on the Greek island that we met on, our developing baby's heart stopped beating and died. I felt ill and had to island hop back to Athens to have an anaesthetic and removal of products. Such a cold term for emptying my womb of all our hopes and dreams. We chose to return and convalesce on our Greek island in the healing sunshine and spring flowers. Sitting on a rock, salty tears flowing into the Aegean Sea. Writing a poem really helped me make sense of what was happening and we found a stone and left it in a rosemary bush. Said a few private words together and shared our grief for the child that we had lost. The second pregnancy testing kit was a year later. I only got to eight weeks this time And so I decided that I was never, ever going to buy another pregnancy testing kit. But here I was, surrounded by boxes in the downstairs storeroom-cum-toilet of the Chinese herbalist, waiting with my breath held for the seconds to tick by. I can't and won't believe my eye. Positive! Yeah, it's positive! Of course the test is positive. Your pulse is telling me that you're pregnant, exclaimed Dr Zhang. For goodness sake, I'm only five weeks late. I want to scream at them. Do you know how much can go wrong? But instead I smile and thank them for their care, collect my herbs and go home via my favorite chocolate shop where I secretly celebrate with a chocolate marzipan bar. Thoughts of third time lucky, third time lucky, third time lucky are at one side of the instantly forming pregnancy continuum in my head. And at the other end is we're having another miscarriage scary thoughts and possibilities. My head is full of them. To tell people or not to tell people, that is the question. This time, not to tell. The purple baby box with all the information, baby books, is somewhere in the garage and I dare not bring it out in case we tempt faith. Third time lucky, third time lucky, third time lucky. The Chinese herbs taste like warm slime and I find it impossible to sip like it suggests on the instructions. Down in one, closely followed by orange juice. Ugh. Chinese medicine was one of a menu of alternative therapies we were prepared to try while saving up for infertility treatment. The list included crystal therapy, acupuncture, Reiki, reflexology. Quite frankly, I would have danced naked around trees if that would have helped. Dr Zhang told me that my yin and yang were out of synchronicity and once they were aligned, I'd have no problem maintaining a pregnancy to full term. Well, two weeks of Chinese herbs and acupuncture and here I am. Now I only have another seven months of waiting and worrying about the possibility of losing our baby. Although this time I have a secret mantra. Third time lucky, third time lucky, third time lucky. The first scan, long gone is the warm slime, which was worse than the thought of morning sickness. Replaced by positive visualisation of my beautiful, developing baby. At long last, I can fully understand the words of the Kate Bush song, The Kick Inside. Oh, how my baby moves inside me. Being over 40, we are offered all sorts of tests and we decide to have them all. And then have what feels like the longest wait for the results. I'm travelling on a Newcastle-to-Glasgow train and standing in the aisle just outside Edinburgh when I found out our baby is a boy and everything is okay. 20 weeks, my bump is getting bigger by the day. People tell me that I'm glowing. We are halfway there and have never got this far before. We've called our developing baby Jamie and he's already a little person. In my mind, I visualise your health and happiness, Jamie. 30 weeks. How I long to hold you, Jamie. People ask how I am. Are we organised? How can we be when life is so precious and things can go so wrong? Everyone else at our antenatal class seemed more organised than we are. We have no baby equipment, no clothes, no Winnie the Pooh nursery boarders. The poo borders are the last straw. I suddenly start to feel that we are depriving our baby. Emotional and hormonal, I'm surging with hormones and at times I turn into bitch queen from hell. 35 weeks, I'm so scared to relax. I keep my mantra of third time lucky, third time lucky and focus on happy, positive thoughts. People are kind and supportive in their way. I'm not very good at being relaxed and pregnant when I'm with other people. I actually don't want to talk about how I feel. I look like a 70s space hopper. I'm peeing every hour, so getting very little sleep and the only place I can find a comfortable position is when I'm swimming. Every day that goes by is another day closer to Jamie's birth. 13th of April is his due date. April the 13th comes and goes. And to celebrate, we go out and buy the things we think we're going to need. We're chancing fate and had a shopping extravaganza. And our house is now filled with buggy, swinging crib, cot bed, nappies, breast pads. Third time lucky, third time lucky, third time lucky. 41 weeks and my bump is so big. I feel like I could explode. I waddle on land and swim gracefully in the pool. 2am on April 21st, as I waddle back to bed, I feel a whoosh of wetness and know that at last Jamie is on his way. Could it be? Yes, it could. Something's coming, something's good. Tonight, tonight won't be just any night. I have my own West Side Story melodies playing in my head as I try to keep calm. Focused and positive and instead of Maria singing Tony, I'm singing Jamie, Jamie. The longest day unfolds. Two labour ward rooms during the day. Four midwives come and go as they change their shifts. We spend hours in the birthing pool with gas and air. 5pm and things aren't progressing as they should. Time stands still and it's like it's not really happening to me, being examined Poked, prodded, all options explained. My baby's heartbeat is being affected by this longest of days and his attempts to join us in life were on the final leg. Third time lucky. Third time lucky. Third time lucky. Just take me to the operating theatre and get him out. At half past nine at night on Wednesday the 21st of April, you came into the world by cesarean section. They lifted you out, placed you in my arms. Third time lucky you're here. Third time lucky you cry as you breathe. Third time lucky we cry with joy. Jamie, you are our gift and we fell in love.
0: The next piece, written and recorded by David By, called The Decision, is extremely powerful.
3: There was no wine with our meal that night. Five siblings, a plate reserved for number six. We sat, in contemplation, in expectation. Yet, when it came, the expected, longed-for, dreaded phone call took us by surprise. Our mum was gone. Our relief that she no longer suffered, tempered by our loss. Our grief, assuaged by the thought they were together. Our guilt, only days before the ultimate expression of our love, was to set her spirit free.
0: Our final piece has been written and recorded by Michael Keane.
4: Dancing in Time. Let me take you back to the 1970s. We're psychedelic fashion, pop music, Twiggy, the Beatles, Andy Warhol, of liberation and freedom. My Valentine. Blonde hair, blue eyes, hot pants and boots thigh high. She'll follow her favourite bands in discos from town to town. Lindisfarne. Geordie. Angelic upstarts. Brass Alley to name but a few. She looks like Debbie Harry, with the energy of Lulu. should have been a model, or a superstar, instead you're a mama and a super grandma. She would dance at the Latino, Lestrada, or the 21 Club. But she was the queen of the Chelsea cat, man oh man. What a gut. She loved her life. Yes, you've guessed it. She's the waif. Oh, Valerie.
0: We hope you enjoyed our look at love. And we look forward to next month's podcast where we will be looking at new beginnings. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to, we would love to hear from you. You can leave comments on our Facebook page, just search Hive Radio Storytellers, or you could email us on hive underscore radio underscore storytellers at outlook.com. Our group meets every Wednesday, virtually at the moment, and would welcome anyone interested in joining us. If you're interested in creating stories, recording, editing, production, anything like that please feel free to contact us either leave us a message on facebook contact us on our email which is hive underscore radio underscore storytellers at outlook.com all lowercase hope you have a lovely valentine's day